Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. The top story at Antiwar.com today, it's more money and weapons for Ukraine. The U.S. is expected to announce a new $3 billion weapons package for Ukraine on Wednesday as Washington is shifting to a longer-term campaign to support Kiev in its war against Russia. The new military aid will be the single largest weapons package that the U.S. will be providing Ukraine since Russia invaded on February 24th. It will bring the total of direct military aid for for Kiev since the war started to about $13.6 billion, and that is just in direct weapons shipments to Ukraine. This money, it's still being pulled from that $40 billion Ukraine aid bill that President Biden signed into law back in May. Now, this $3 billion weapons package, it's going to be given to Ukraine under a program that's called the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. This is a little different than how the U.S. has been sending most of the military aid to Ukraine, which has been what they through what they call the Presidential Drawdown Authority. And that allows Biden to take weapons directly from the U.S. military stockpiles and send them to Ukraine. That way they could ship them almost immediately. But this uh, Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, it's a little different. This allows the U.S. government to take this money and buy weapons for Ukraine from uh, U.S. weapons makers. So they'll enter a contract And it's a process that will take a little longer than the direct shipments. Uh, U.S. officials told the Associated Press that the money will fund contracts for drones and other weapons. We don't really know the details yet of what is going to be in this package. They said it was still subject to change. We'll get those for you. Uh, You'll see that probably up on antiwar.com later on Wednesday. And I'll discuss it in tomorrow's show, I'm sure. But... What these officials said is that these weapons, they're not going to make it to the battlefront for a year or two because it's a different type of assistance with the contracts and everything that they have to go through. But it is it just shows that this is long term support. And they said that these weapons that they're giving Ukraine, it focuses more on what they call Ukraine's medium term and long term needs as opposed to their immediate needs on the battlefield. So it's really the U.S. digging in its heels and saying, we're going to be supporting you for years and years in this war against Russia. It's just another sign that this uh, war is not going to end anytime soon. And we saw uh, NATO Secretary Hens Stoltenberg. He said on Tuesday that NATO must, quote, sustain our support for Ukraine for the long term so that Ukraine prevails as a sovereign, independent nation. And, quote, and this announcement of military aid for Ukraine. Wednesday, it marks the day that Ukraine celebrates its independence, and it also marks six months since Russia invaded Ukraine. So the war is now half a year old. It's been going on for a long time. And again, unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. And more on on that, this next one here, there was a summit on Crimea today, on uh, actually on Tuesday, that was hosted by Ukraine and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky at this summit. He reiterated his goal of that he wants to take back Crimea from Russia, saying that Ukraine will do so by any means necessary. 
And this summit was attended virtually by about 60 nations. And Zelensky, so he still insists that Ukraine will take back all territory that Russia has captured since it invaded on February 24th, and as well as Crimea. He said this a lot, and Russia has controlled Crimea since 2014. But the reality is capturing these territories, for Ukraine to do that, it would require a massive military operation. And we've yet to see Ukraine launch any sort of successful counteroffensive. We keep seeing these reports that they're preparing for this big counteroffensive in Kherson, which is the area north of Crimea. You know, you would assume they would have to take that before they move into Crimea. Um, although we have seen some what appear to be Ukrainian attacks inside Crimea, there's been several explosions at Russian military facilities. And Ukraine hasn't officially taken credit, but Ukrainian officials have strongly hinted that they were involved and media reports attributed some of the incidents to Ukraine's special forces. Now, the U.S. has signed off on Ukraine using Western, using U.S. provided weapons on Crimea. Um, it looks like they say that they support Kiev attacking Crimea if that's what they think they should do. And Blinken, the Secretary of State, he addressed this summit on Tuesday, and he said, you know, the so-called international community should put pressure on Russian President Vladimir Putin until all Russian troops leave Crimea. He said, quote, Crimea is Ukraine. That was our position in 2014, and it remains in 2022, end quote. Now, while Zelensky and the U.S., they portray Russia's control over Crimea as an occupation, the people of the peninsula, they did vote overwhelmingly in 2014 to join the Russian Federation after the U.S. backed the ousting of Viktor Yanukovych, the former Ukrainian president. People of Crimea rejected the post-coup government. Now, of course, the U.S. calls that referendum a sham, and it was something like 97%. But we've seen plenty of polls have been taken after Crimea was absorbed by Russia that the people that live there are happy Russia did it without firing a shot. So the people that live there, they want to be part of Russia. Um, I think that's just an important detail to note, because if you saw Blinken's speech at this uh, summit, you know, it was very. It's just a completely different narrative that the U.S. spins about the situation in Crimea and, of course, Zelensky, too. All right, so the next one here, the IAEA renews request to visit Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. A UN official said Tuesday that the International Atomic Energy Agency, that's the IAEA, it's the UN's nuclear watchdog, has renewed its request to visit Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine, which is under Russian control and has been the target of recent shelling. Uh, a U.N. official, Rosemary DiCarlo, she announced at a U.N. Security Council meeting on Tuesday that Rafael Grossi, he's the head of the IAEA, he has requested, again, to send IAEA inspectors to the plant. And it's expected, according to Grossi and these U.N. officials, this could happen within a few days if negotiations with Russia and Ukraine on the issue succeed. And they're in active consultations with Ukraine and Russia, according to DiCarlo. And Russia's representative to the UN said Tuesday that he expects the IAEA mission to happen in the near future. And Russia has been calling for the IAEA to visit the nuclear power plant. Uh, 
and has accused the Russia accused the UN of blocking the mission, which the UN has denied. But it is strange that at this point, you know, it's been a while since Russia has controlled this facility since March, and we've seen it come under attack over the past few weeks, and they still haven't gotten uh, inspectors there. Now, um, Ukraine claims that it's Russia that's been attacking the power plant, which doesn't make much sense because Russia controls the power plant and the territory around it. Um, but Russia does have troops there. It is militarized, I guess you, you could call it. And the UN has called for Russia to demilitarize the area, which Russia has rejected. They said that it would leave the plant uh, vulnerable, more vulnerable to Ukrainian attacks. Uh, but Ukraine also said they also indicated that they favor this IAEA plan to go visit the plant. They said that they welcomed the plans. Ukraine's ambassador to the UN said, quote, further arrangements are to be made based on the security conditions and require communication of detailed route plans and other logistical aspects as soon as possible, end quote. So the IAEA mission is expected to travel to the plant through Ukrainian-controlled territory. So that would go through really the front lines of the war. The plant is on the Dnieper River in the Zaporizhia Oblast, which is mostly controlled by Russia. But all that territory around the plant on that side of the river is Russian-controlled. On the other side, it's Ukrainian-controlled, and there's been a lot of shelling in that area. Okay, so the next one, here's some goodish news. Uh, the Around 720,000 tons of food have been exported from Ukraine uh, under this grain export deal. The Ukrainian Agriculture Ministry reported this on Tuesday, that 33 ships carrying the 720,000 tons of foodstuffs have left Ukraine since the deal was signed and implemented back in July. So the, number, the numbers show that this deal that was signed between Russia and Ukraine, and it was brokered by the UN and Turkey, has been a success. The agriculture ministry said that in addition to the 33 ships that have left, another 18 are loading and preparing to depart from Ukraine's Black Sea ports. The grain deal, it established this coordination center in Istanbul, and it's manned by officials from Turkey, Russia, Ukraine, and the UN. Under the deal, Ukraine agreed to escort ships out of its ports, which have been heavily mined, and Russia agreed not to attack the areas uh, while the vessels were moving out of these ports. And Turkey and the UN, they've said that they hope this grain deal could lead to more negotiations between Russia and Ukraine, and ultimately, hopefully, a peace deal is what they want to see. But there's really no signs that peace talks will happen anytime soon, as I said earlier, as the U.S. and other Western countries are just pouring weapons into Ukraine and Ukrainian leadership is insisting that they're going to take back Crimea. There's really no end in sight. And on top of sending all these weapons in, the U.S. has abandoned diplomacy with Russia for the most part. And it goes this deal goes to show, you know, Turkey and the U.N. brokering talks playing the mediator between Ukraine and Russia, it led to, it had some serious results. I mean, this is pretty major. Nothing was moving out of Ukraine since Russia invaded. And now this is a good amount of grain that's being shipped out of the country as a result of diplomacy, something that the U.S. doesn't seem interested in. 
The next one here, U.S. official says nuclear deal closer after Iran made concessions. So there's some signs that there might be a revival of the Iran nuclear deal known as the JCPOA. I've been very skeptical that the Biden administration would actually have the political will to lift sanctions on Iran. It's not a done deal by any means yet, but there, this, this is quotes from a U.S. official speaking to Reuters on Monday. And this official who spoke on the condition of anonymity said that, so we saw the EU made this proposal to Iran and the U.S. They said it was the final proposal to revive this deal. Iran responded with a few notes, and the U.S. is reviewing Iran's response. And this official said that Iran came back and dropped the what the official called the main hangups to the deal. The official said, quote, we think they have finally crossed the Rubicon and moved toward possibly getting back into the deal on terms that President Biden can accept. If we are closer today, it's because Iran has moved. They conceded on issues that they have been holding on to from the beginning. And quote. So it's true. Iran has made some pretty major concessions to the U.S. They've maintained that if the Biden administration lifted all Trump-era sanctions that were imposed after the U.S. withdrew from the deal in 2018, they would bring their nuclear program back into the JCPOA limits. The Biden administration has refused to do that. And this is why there's negotiations, because then they have to say, okay, We'll lift these sanctions if you do this, and Iran has been countering. And But now, a major thing that this official said Iran conceded on, which I've mentioned a lot, is the, the designation of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, as a foreign terrorist organization. It's a major designation. It means any current and former member is subject to U.S. sanctions. And the official also said that Iran wanted the IAEA, to stop its investigation into traces of uraniums that they found at Iranian nuclear sites, at sites they say are undeclared nuclear sites. But Iran apparently dropped that demand too. So things look like they could happen. It's really up to the U.S. And what's more interesting is that the EU, Joseph Burrell, their foreign policy chief, has said that Iran's response is reasonable and that they hope the U.S. agrees in that they can see sanctions lifted on Iran, which would get Iranian oil back on to the global market, which would help out Europe and ease some energy prices. So the ball is in the U.S.'s court and the Biden administration's court. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens. I'm still a little pretty skeptical just because they had so many chances to make this happen over the past year and a half or almost two years since Biden's been president. And we just didn't see the U.S. really willing to to get this done and to lift sanctions on Iran or lift sanctions on anybody. They haven't really changed any of Trump's policies. They've lifted some minor sanctions on Venezuela and Cuba. But besides that, there hasn't been much. Next one here. So Israel's working against this deal. Of course, they're very against the nuclear deal. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz on Tuesday, he said that Israel would do everything it can to influence the U.S. against reviving the nuclear deal. And he announced that he was traveling to the U.S. later this week. 
Gantz said, quote, the state of Israel is not opposed to agreements in general, but it is opposed to the emerging nuclear agreement, end quote. And again, his comments came as it's looking promising, looking like a deal could be revived here. So he's going to travel to Florida on Thursday, and he's going to meet with the head of U.S. Central Command. That's where Central Command is based in Florida. Israel recently joined uh, is under Central Command now, CENTCOM, as it's known, which is the U.S. Command Center for the Middle East. And Israel previously was under U.S. European Command. The reason for that was because Israel didn't have formal relations with most U.S. allies in the region, all the Arab Gulf countries. But after Israel normalized with the UAE and Bahrain, they switched to being under U.S. Central Command, under CENTCOM. Since then, we've seen Israel conduct military drills with these Arab countries, including countries that don't have relations with Israel, such as Saudi Arabia and Oman. Um, so it's more this way. It's easier for the U.S. to cooperate with Israel and these Arab countries really against Iran. That's kind of all, the point of all of this is to isolate Iran more in the region. Um, but anyway, so Gantz is going to Florida Thursday to visit CENTCOM. And then he's going to head to Washington on Friday for a meeting with Jake Sullivan, the U.S. National Security advisor, and that's where he's going to likely really push for the Biden administration to abandon the JCPOA negotiations. Gantz said, quote, we are in contact with international authorities, the Americans and others regarding our opposition to the agreement. We will do everything we can to exert influence on this matter, end quote. On Tuesday, Sullivan, he hosted his Israeli counterpart, the Israeli National Security Advisor, and the, they discussed Iran according to a readout by the White House. There wasn't really much detail of the meeting. We might see more details in a couple days, usually when there's big high-level meetings between U.S. and Israeli officials, there are uh, leaks to the media about what they discussed, usually from the Israeli side. Um, so... Israeli officials, you know, they're constantly warning that Iran's trying to build a bomb, make a nuclear weapon. But if that was really their concern, they would favor a revival of the JCPOA. It puts Iran's nuclear program under these very strict limits, makes it subject to the most stringent inspections in the world. And even without that agreement, Iran has repeatedly vowed that it doesn't want to build a nuclear bomb. And Iran is a signatory to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which Israel doesn't is not Israel is not an NPT signatory because it has a secret nuclear weapons program that it doesn't acknowledge exists and that the US also you know pretends doesn't exist. All right. So the next one here this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute and this is Iran is making some moves as I mentioned before we're seeing more Israeli Arab cooperation against Iran that's kind of the idea of these it's a major aspect of the normalization agreements and, of course, the military cooperation. And the U.S. wants to see this sort of uh, Middle East NATO against um, Iran. But Iran has also been making moves to forge better ties with Arab countries, including Saudi Arabia. And they've already reestablished diplomatic ties with the UAE and Kuwait. And they've been in talks with Saudi Arabia over the past few years. 
And um, this is coming as the JCPOA, as we're seeing that this deal could possibly be revived. So, and this is something we see as the U.S. kind of backs out from the region. Um, I mean, the U.S. is still very involved in the region, has troops all over and is supporting the war in Yemen and everything. But the U.S. has definitely reduced its presence in the Middle East. And that's when we start to see Saudi Arabia and Iran talking. Um, so as the U.S. backs out, there's room for reproachment. Although if, if they get what they want with this Israeli-Arab alliance against Iran, then we might not see these uh, this reproachment. But it is um, good if Iran and Saudi Arabia are uh, talking. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to mention here, we don't have a story on it yet. Our friend Kyle Anzalone is working on it, but this was just a press release that CENTCOM put out on Tuesday night. They said that the U.S. bombed Syria on Tuesday at President Biden's direction. They they launched airstrikes in Deir Ezzor, Syria, and they said that the strikes uh, were against it. They excuse me. They targeted infrastructure facilities used by groups affiliated with Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. That's the IRGC. So there's not really any details. It's just this press release. Uh, so we don't know exactly what happened. If anybody was killed. We're definitely going to have more details on this uh, later on Wednesday. Kyle's writing something up now, like I said. But they said that this strike was carried out to protect U.S. forces from attacks like the one that took place on August 15th. There was a drone strike on a U.S. base in Syria on August 15th. Nobody was killed or injured, but so I guess that's what they're saying, that they launched this strike in response to. But, you know, this is dangerous because... As they're talking to Iran, they're saying that they hit a facility used by groups affiliated with the IRGC. You know, Iran has IRGC. It has a presence in Syria. There could always be IRGC officers at these facilities. It risks um, really an escalation with Iran. And that's just the nature of any U.S. military operation in Syria or just the U.S. presence as a whole. It just risks uh, sparking a conflict with Iran, Russia, Syria, just so many ways to, to start a war um, by being involved in that country. But again, we'll get more details on that. Uh, but this is different than most airstrikes, U.S. airstrikes we've seen lately in Syria targeted ISIS and Al-Qaeda or so they said in northwest Syria. Um, but this is a little different and we haven't really seen strikes against what they call Iranian-aligned groups, which likely means the Shia militias that are in Syria. Uh, but that's it for the news for today. Um, you can contact us at news at antiwar.com. You can support the show by donating at antiwar.com slash donate. Follow me on Twitter. You can message, message me there. I appreciate all the good feedback, and I'm happy so many people are listening, and it seems like a lot of people are enjoying the show which is great so thanks for listening i will see you guys with more news tomorrow thank you